Welcome to the Wanting to Wealthy podcast, where we approach financial education in unconventional ways. My name is Ashley Hogan, and if you are looking for a different path to reach your financial goals, you are in the right place. Let's get started. Before we get started, I am so excited to let you know that there are some new changes coming to the Wanting to Wealthy Patreon page. There will now be just two tiers. The $1 searcher level will give you first access to sign up for courses and discounts on all classes, courses, and materials. The $5 Voyager level is for those of you who are ready to build a community around your personal finances as well as being eligible for promo codes and early access to all Wanting to Wealthy programs. Voyagers get exclusive voting power on podcast content and access to the private community. The private community is all about knowing you're not alone in your personal finance journey. Included in the private community is the ability to ask questions, get free printables, live events to work on your finances with others, and moral support. This episode, I am excited to introduce Jody Winturner. Jody is a Jill of all trades, focused mainly in sales from a young age. Eventually pursuing her dream of being a real estate agent, she was able to spend five years at Keller Williams. Once she had her last baby, Jetta, and got a divorce, blessings for both, she went back to her roots in sales, finally finding a home in mortgage lending. She has been in mortgage for just under two years and focuses mainly on first-time buyers and those starting the path to building long-term wealth. Jody, thank you so much for coming and being part of our podcast. Um, I really wanted to have you on because of your background as a mortgage broker and um and being able to follow up the conversation that came out in February uh, about um, home buying and renting and making that choice of when and if you should become a homeowner. Right. And it's a really difficult decision right now. So thank you for having me on so we can talk about it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your business? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I am a mortgage broker. I've been in mortgage specifically for uh, about two years. Mm-hmm. Um, before that, I did a lot of sales jobs, but more specifically, I was a real estate agent for five years at mm-hmm. Keller Williams in Portland. Um, so I'm pretty familiar with the home buying process already. So really, it was just a matter of learning types of loans and qualifications and things like that, which was kind of easy to pick up. So mm-hmm. um, that is my background. Um, I I also sold life insurance and health insurance. So, um, you know, I have um, a lot of experience in the financial industry in general. And um, what what is your financial background? Like, how how did you grow up and how has finances kind of shifted and changed in your life over the years? I I like to joke that my mom could have taught a financial uh, class uh, when I was a kid about how to just like get by on nothing. Mm -hmm. So I grew up um, very um, income. uh, (laughs) What's the right term? Anyway, I grew up poor. Uh (laughs) Um, So my mom was blue collar. Um, She was a single parent since I was a kid. um, And she ended up working for TriMet. Um, as I got older, she, in fact, was a real estate agent when I was a really young kid and couldn't quite make that work with a, with a bunch of kids. So she went to work at TriMet. She drove, um, buses and then later she drove the max trains here in Portland. So she did that for a very long time. 
but she was not the best financial educator. Like she would, she taught me a lot of bad habits financially growing up. Um, things like borrowing too much, even when you knew you couldn't pay it back. Mm-hmm. Um, she taught me a trick when I was about 16, that if you took your ATM card to the ATM and you only had $20 in your account, you could pull out up to 500 and it would just charge you one overdraft fee. <laughs> My husband had to do that in college because he didn't get any um, financial education either. And that's exactly what he used to do. It, it really started me off really not healthy in my finances when I was young. Um, when I went to college, she sent me off to college with the promise to pay, to help me pay for it, and then didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was saddled with a lot of student debt. Um, and I realized about two years in that I, I was never going to be able to repay all that money. <laughs> and so I stopped going to school. And, um, and so now you had student loan debt and, and no degree. No degree. Yeah. Um, so I went into sales, uh, instead and realized that that's somewhere that I was not only good at it, but that I enjoyed it fairly, depending on what I was selling. I mean, nobody Mm -hmm. likes to sell something that nobody needs, but, Mm -hmm. um, I think that's why I settled into insurance and homes and things that people genuinely need. And I don't feel like I'm grifting anybody. (laughs) There was a time I sold, uh, rock climbing equipment. Um, I worked for a major company in, in that industry and, and I worked on the inside. So I didn't sell the stores instead of people, but, um, basically my financial education from a young age was very poor. <laughs> Did you and, have any sort of <clears throat> formal financial education, like in high school or anything like that? So in, uh, the town that I went to high school in, um, they had a class and I forget the name of it, but it was something like personal finance mm-hmm. and it was a required class for junior year. Mm-hmm. Um, I moved three weeks into it. Oh. <laughs> My new school did not have that same class, mm-hmm. um, but it was uh, geared toward people whose parents hadn't talked about anything. It was about how to balance your checkbook and how to mm-hmm. you know, apply for what loans mean, what APR is, you know, um, what is compounding interest and why does it matter? Um, mm-hmm. So I did know quite a bit at that time, by that time about mm-hmm. it, um, because uh, I had the high school that I went to had a branch of the local credit union within the high school that was run by high school students. Oh, that's cool. Um, and I had a friend that worked there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so she uh, really liked to educate people. And so I knew a lot more by that time um, mm-hmm. than I did before. In fact, that same class had a um, part of it where you did a kind of a mock-up of an investment, um, not on the stock market, but like a retirement plan. And it showed mm-hmm. you how, if you're, if you start saving a hundred dollars a month, when you're 18, that how that turns into a million dollars by the time you're 50 kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. So um, I knew about all of the tricks. I just wasn't in a position to use any of them. Mm-hmm. It's my personal belief that you have to start with something and the yeah. family I grew up in, I never, I, I have literally been scraping since I could, I had my first job when I was 10. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I've just been, I've been kind of grinding since, since a young age and I've never until recently had never been able to get ahead. Gotcha. Gotcha. And do you have children? Yeah, I have three kids. Um, mm-hmm. I have a 12 year old and a 10 year old. And then, um, I also have a three year old, um, that happened a little bit later. (laughs) Uh (laughs) And do you talk to them about money at all? Yeah, we actually talk about it a lot. So I actually use, um, a platform that's an online app Mm -hmm. for them to earn an allowance, um, earn money via doing chores. And then it Mm -hmm. also allows them to have their very own debit card. 
so that mm-hmm. they can choose how to spend that money. It has a savings platform and then it ha- also has an investing platform if they want to invest in stocks. So. What's the name of that app? It's called Greenlight. Greenlight. Okay. We'll get the link for that and put yeah, it in the show notes because that sounds awesome. It's really amazing. It's There's a small monthly fee for the family. I think I think it's $5. It could be 10. I think there's levels. Um, and um, But it really allows me to keep track of what they're, not just what they are spending, but what they're spending it on. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it, it's very much puts the parent in control of the money, but also gives the kid the, the reliability that that's my money. That's what I'm spending it on. Um, Mm -hmm. and does it work like a traditional debit card in that if they don't have enough money in their account, they can't, it'll bounce. Exactly. It's a lot like a prepaid cash card in that sense. Like, Mm -hmm. like you can even overdraft a debit card, but you cannot overdraft this. If if they make a purchase for $12 and they only have 10, it just will decline it. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. And it's then really nice. Yeah. And then I can see how somebody could then have them learn how to balance a checkbook based off of that. What have they spent versus what is showing dollars and cents. When I teach the personal finance class at the college, I would say usually out of a class of 30, I might have three or four that know why and how to balance a checkbook. Yeah. And I'll be honest, I'm, I'm still bad at it. Like, mm-hmm if there's money in the account, there must be money in the account. Right. Um, so it's something I've even struggled with as an mm-hmm. adult. So I keep so much better track now than I ever mm-hmm. used to. And very rarely <laughs> do I let it go, mm-hmm. uh, to where it's a problem, but, um, you know, it happens to everybody when you yeah. live, you know, in essence, paycheck to paycheck with a family, you're going to have flip ups where you forget, Oh, that bill was due. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I totally understand that. And you have to put a lot of, I literally have reminders in my phone, even though I have most things on auto pay, I still have a reminder in my phone that like yesterday it was paying a bill if I owed anything to the hospital, which it was a monthly thing when my son was born. Um, it was literally, hey, do you owe anything to this place right now? It's due today. Yeah. So then I'd remember to do it because otherwise um, I also worked in sales. I sold paint. Um, so something that some people need and some people got really worked up over. And I always used to say, because I used to be a veterinary technician that, um, paint's not life and death. <laughs> like I was yeah. not as passionate about it as other people. <laughs> yeah. Like I sold flooring for a local uh-huh. flooring company and people be like, it's the wrong color. I'm like, it's like, it's fine. It's the same. It's all good. <laughs> so what had happened for me is I moved six times in five years for uh work and um I would like set my binder of paying things down and then forget to pay things so I had multiple times where I missed a payment or something like that not because I was just being lazy but when you're moving and have kids and doing all these extra things it's really hard yeah absolutely to remember that too I struggle with ADHD oh yeah and so like the act of paying a bill can sometimes be monumental mm-hmm. and uh it's like it's like oh I remember to do that and then like 10 seconds later I've forgotten mm-hmm. uh, so you know I've struggled with it a lot but it's the technology to be able to have things on auto pay and set yeah. up reminders and yeah. apps that remind you when bills are coming it's all helps so much yeah I totally agree so so learning about your background and things like that and being in sales I love that you said that you more enjoyed the sales where things mattered like right. life insurance and buying homes and things like that so can you tell me about your experience as 
um, a realtor and then how you, uh, why you shifted to, to mortgage broker. Yeah. So I loved real estate. It's a fabulous way to spend your time. If, if you've got to work, it doesn't feel like work. Okay. Mm-hmm. Like you, you talk to people all day from different backgrounds, you go look at houses, you mm-hmm. get the excitement and the rush of telling people they've got something. There's some stresses in there. Obviously nobody likes it when something falls through or doesn't happen or can't happen or anything goes wrong. There's a lot of stress involved mm-hmm. in it. Um, I mean, you were literally holding somebody's home in your hands. Like yeah. it's, it's a lot of pressure. Um, honestly, I probably wouldn't have left it except I got a divorce and single parent with two kids at the time. Um, and, uh, once I had a baby on the way, I was like, you know what? I can't do the hours. It's a lot gotcha. because yeah. you really are on demand to your clients, like yeah. literally on yeah. demand 24 seven. Um, and you know, just being in that environment, mm-hmm. I, I couldn't, couldn't keep up. Would you um, feel like would you say like, it was probably hard to set boundaries with clients in that role? It's definitely hard to set boundaries, but it's also this, it's not that I couldn't set boundaries. It's Mm -hmm. that by setting those boundaries, sometimes you are letting them down. Like if you say I am not available on Sunday afternoons, I go to church and I do this with my family and I do this and I am not available on Sunday afternoons. Mm -hmm. And then the house that they want has a deadline at Sunday at five and you've set that boundary and you won't, you won't go over it, mm-hmm. which is fair. I, I applaud the real estate agents who can do this, but every now and then it is going to bite you or more, more accurately, your clients in the mm-hmm. butt. And I could not sense. do it. I can't leave somebody in the lurch mm-hmm. or, and, and yeah, it's a boundary issue. I'm sure. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure it's just one of those things, but, um, I, I couldn't do it. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, if somebody needed something on uh, uh, Sunday at, 4 p.m. I was doing it and whether it was the right thing to do or not, that's what I did. Um, well, it was always the right thing for the client. It may not have been the right thing for me. Yeah. Um, Yeah, So with lending, there's, uh, there's automatically built-in times where you can't do anything. Lenders Mm -hmm. aren't even open on Saturday and Sunday and most Mm -hmm. holidays. Mm -hmm. So it really gives you an out. Um, there's, there's no reason to be working on a Sunday other than maybe talking to a client who works, you know, during the week and can't, can't, meet on a, on a weekday, Mm -hmm. but that's low key. That's nothing, you know, that's just information gathering and answering questions, which is kind of what I like to do anyway. Mm -hmm. So there's just not as much that I need to do on a weekend or in the evenings. If there's an emergency, obviously it it does happen, but it's a lot easy. It's usually a very short emergency Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. I can just fix it and be moving Mm -hmm. on with my day. So I enjoy the time of lending better. Also, it puts you more in the driver's seat as a realtor. You're really limited. You have very little control over what goes on. Like you write the offer, you put it in, you're waiting. You're always waiting on somebody else. You're always waiting on the lender. You're always waiting on the selling side. Um, whereas as a uh, mortgage broker, you're definitely more in the driver's seat. You have a little bit more control. There's still stuff you can't control. I wish I, I wish I could talk to every real estate agent in the world and say, listen, once I've sent submitted it to the lender, there's nothing more I can do. The more I harass them, the more they put it on the back burner. (laughs) Like, um, there's a, there's a title issue in Alaska where right now it's literally 10 weeks to get that back from. Wow. Yeah. And there's nothing I can do about it. I can't rush it. I can't harass it out of them. I, there's nothing I can do. Um, so is it for a title search? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So they, and they, so it won't clear title for 10 to 12 weeks Mm -hmm. minimum. Yeah, which means they're just sitting under contract for that time. Exactly. And that 
layman's terms is that you've made the offer on the home and the seller has said yes, but we're now waiting to see what the title says, correct? Yeah, because the lender needs to make sure that that home is a valid home mm -hmm. and it's not fake and mm -hmm. it's owned by the right people who say they want to sell it. And yeah. like all that stuff takes time to clear it through the government channels of, yep, that's a home, that's where it is, that's who owns it, you know, all this stuff. And in Alaska, because of the, sh the, um, there's an employee shortage, mm -hmm. um, at the government level and in within the title and escrow companies, okay. um, that is just causing this huge delay. And I have no, I have no control over it, mm -hmm. but those circumstances are fewer and farther between as a loan officer than they are as a real estate agent. Yeah. I feel like real estate agents are like, um, tour guides almost like you you're there and you get to be part of the whole process but you don't really have control over much of it exactly that's exactly and you're the it. expert but you're but you're the expert on is this a good house for you have i found the right home based on the requests you my clients are asking things like that right right and i really think that a real estate agent's job is that um the negotiation process, not just yeah. between the sellers and the buyers, but between the buyers and the buyers. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's more of a negotiation between what they want and what they can afford yes. um, or what they want and what's available. Um, mm -hmm. And I always, it's what, so a part of the reason I was kind of excited to talk to you with building wealth is mm -hmm. I, I'm a firm believer in your first house is not your only house. Agreed. <laughs> a, lot, a lot of people in my generation have this, I want my dream home and I'm going to wait for it. I'm going to, I'm going to wait until I can afford my dream home to buy a home. And that's what a lot of people don't realize is that's not how our parents did it. That's not how their parents did it. You start with a starter home. You start with something that does not meet your needs. It, it might be a condo. It might be a duplex. It might be a very small home, but it's as a starting point so that you're not throwing your money away with your rent giving it to somebody else because you're never going to build wealth when you're throwing your money away. You're never going to do it. Yeah. There's and, no, you have to start small. Yeah. And if you start small, then instead of just paying somebody else's mortgage via rent and your goal is to, to be a homeowner, um, you're now building equity within that house. So then you can sell that house and move up. Exactly. You're putting money in your own personal house shaped piggy bank. Mm -hmm. and because that money, it's not just growing. It's not just putting the money that you're paying toward your payment in your pocket. Mm -hmm. It's the money that is also accruing. I mean, year over year in Portland Metro, I mean, you're talking minimum of 6% growth, sometimes a lot higher, mm -hmm. depending on where you are. So yeah. even if you're discounting the fact that you're paying interest, mm -hmm. you're still making money off of that by just going forward and, um, you know, putting that money into your own pocket instead of a, a, a landlord. It's hard. I'm not even going to lie. It's, mm -hmm. it's, it's very difficult. I still haven't been able to repurchase a home since my divorce. Um, I'm actually, <laughs> finally, uh, my parents are going to be selling me their home. It's the mm -hmm. old family home uh, in, in the woods. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm really looking forward to that. But, um, and so I know how hard it is to get ahead when you're paying rent. It's just, it feels yeah. impossible. Yeah, for sure. And, and it's that decision of, is this a couple of things? Is this a good time to buy a house for you, for your finances? And that's something that the first time we looked at it, we went and we sat down with a, with a lender and the lender was able to go through all of our finances and help us go, okay, you need to work on this, this, and this, and then I can get you 
more home. Yeah, exactly. And that's what, so that's kind of my wheelhouse is looking at where you are now, mm-hmm. where you want to be and how to get there. Because mm-hmm. it's usually a pretty clear path once mm-hmm. you look at what you have. Yeah. Um, so sometimes it's a matter of credit score and that yes. to get what you need, you have to have a better credit score. I can help you get there. It's, it's a process, but it's not overly complex. Um, and it doesn't require a lot of money. A lot of people are very shocked to find that they don't need a down payment. Um, you know, there are programs for people who don't have a bunch of money saved up. Um, yeah. Not and every if, time, but a lot of the time. Yeah. And if you're a seller, really make sure that your, um, that your uh, realtor knows what your house qualifies for. We just had this issue with the house that we flipped over the summer where we were under the understanding it was going to be able to go for, for all um, loans. Mm-hmm. And it ended up uh, being listed as conventional only. So it sat a lot longer than it needed to. And conventional meaning that you have to have that larger down payment. And I asked, hey, can we recheck this with the lenders? Come to find out it qualified for a VA loan, which is 0% down. And with that in mind, the house was under contract in under a week. Yeah. So VA loans and USDA loans, if you're in a qualifying area, mm-hmm. are going to be a z- zero down programs. And then you've got FHA loans, which sometimes if you're, if you flip the house, you cannot do that with an FHA because there's a requirement um, that the home's been owned by the previous party for more than, I want to say three months, it might be six. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, um, so there are some, yeah. some caveats to that, but then in addition to all of that, you've also got, as a seller, you want to make sure that you are accurately considering every offer. You have a preponderance of people who think that there is some kind of defect with a USDA loan, or it's harder to get approved with a USDA loan. And it's not true. I hadn't it's heard not that true. one. That, yeah. That's interesting. If you, if you, it, a lot of, and this is, this is actually a sell, a listing agent problem. Mm-hmm. If you give a listing agent two loan, two offers and they're the mm-hmm. same, everything, except one is a conventional loan and one is an, let's say FHA loan. Um, they will think that there's something better about that conventional loan offer. It's a myth. There's really nothing. The only difference is some of the appraisals um, with the FHA loan. They do a little bit more digging on, um, or there's a few more requirements to make sure the home is up to snuff. Mm-hmm. Like um, mm-hmm. they want you to strap the water heater so it's earthquake proof. It's there's some really weird things. Yeah, the reason for us that our house was not USDA or, or FHA um, loanable was because it was a 1950s built house, and where the septic system was compared to the water uh well yes it was too yes. too close together but that was semantics yeah, <laughs> really because yeah. it was legal at the time and yeah it's totally safe and everything else but it's just a rule that when I was in real right estate there. in the town that I live in now uh St. Helens there's a, mm-hmm. a, a type of foundation called pier and post which mm-hmm. they used a lot when the homes out here were being built mm-hmm. and FHA doesn't really like them yeah but if you can prove that that's what's normal in your area then they're fine Okay. And who, who would do that proving the lender or the, or the mortgage or the realtor or who, who does So it usually would be the lender saying it doesn't need because of this. And then the Mm -hmm. real estate agents would, would be like, oh, it does because of this. So it's really a team effort. Honestly, if you can Mm -hmm. get a good team of people together, that's the best Mm -hmm. ever. Um, Because honestly, we're all just trying to get somebody a house. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Everybody's on your team to, to work and get you the house that you can 
that you want yes. that you can afford yeah. um, in the area you want it to be in and with the resources you have available so with our loan um, the and you can talk to both a lending uh, person or a, your real estate agent writing that offer. they actually offered above asking price but they're what's called cash poor so yeah there wasn't a ton of extra cash for them to do closing and things like that. So we're actually covering all the closing Yeah, and they're getting in the house. We're selling our home. It works out best for them, best for us. And everybody's happy because yeah, exactly. we had those negotiations. And that's, that's the key to a successful situation is everybody knowing what the end goal is. Yeah. And uh, it, it really does help. And um, I did want to talk about something you said a second okay. ago, you said yeah. conventional loan needing 20%. Oh, I, I just said that you had to have money down. Oh, yeah, yeah. You do have to have yeah. money down. It yeah. doesn't necessarily have no, to be 20%. Not, yeah. It's just a really common myth. So. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> no, definitely not 20%. I actually just had a student um, in the class that she told me that she didn't think she had to have, she had enough money to buy a home because she was under that, I have to have 20%. It's like, more is better. It gives you more equity. You don't have to pay mortgage insurance, right. but you could also go in there with 0% down and still yeah. get into a home. And it's still a lot of times, especially in Oregon right now, it's cheaper to pay a mortgage than it is to pay rent. <laughs> oh, way, way cheaper. Yeah. Right? But especially if you're a family, if you are single and have no um, pets or children, Mm -hmm. you probably can find a pretty decent rental right now yeah. for a good price. Yeah. Um, but if you are a family, if you need more than two bedrooms, um, mm -hmm. chances are you can buy for similar costs as renting right now. Yeah. Yeah. And especially when you, and I talked about this in the last episode, when you have pets or you want to have a garden in your backyard or things like that, where it's something that, is a little harder to, to do as a renter, but you could do as a buyer, as a homeowner. Exactly, exactly, yeah. exactly. And there's just, there's a lot of benefits to homeownership that are um, intangible. Like, mm -hmm. I, I don't know about you, but the last place I rented, I had upstairs neighbors that I, I mean, it, it literally, I think it, it literally cost me money living there just mm -hmm. from the, um, the mental health status. Like I work in a job where my mental health plays heavily into my ability to make a profit, right? Yeah. Like I have to be yeah. in a good mood essentially. Mm -hmm. And how can you be in a good mood when somebody is waking up your two-year-old by jump roping rope at nine o'clock in the morning, right above your head or not, right. not nine o'clock in the morning, nine o'clock at night. There yeah. we go. Yeah. Um, like I don't get it. <laughs> No, and, and I totally agree with you. Our last rental, which was years ago now, like 2014, 2015, the mental health was huge because we didn't have a lot of month to month. We had a dog. Uh, no, we just had my cat at that point and horses, but they don't count because they were in a boarding stables. Um, but because of where we were moving in Salem, we couldn't afford a lot of house and we were still paying down a lot of debt and whatnot. Um, we had a police raid next door at five in the morning. And I woke up to flash grenades yeah. that I thought was gunfire at the time. And I'm looking out my window and there's like police in full SWAT gear, like surrounding this house. And I'm going, oh my God, I got to get out of here. And then not a week or two later, um, our landlord actually evicted us and five of our neighbors because we didn't want to buy the homes we were living in. And so it was a no cause eviction. That's his right to do that. It's fine. But then it's like, oh God, I didn't want to be here, but now I don't have a house. And it's all that mental wear and tear that happens that once we bought our home, like 
as long as I can pay my bill, you can't kick me out. <laughs> exactly. There's a lot of security that comes with it. And even, yeah. I mean, I'm not saying crime doesn't happen when you own a home, Sure. but um, my car was broken into several times at that mm-hmm. apartment. And it was a nice place. Like it was a, not a place where you would be like, oh gosh, better lock the, lock the car. And my car was broken into twice in a very short amount of time. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, listen, (laughs) I need some space that's secure, please. (laughs) Yeah, but but you're right. Crime still happens. We had two scenarios. So um, my my grandparents owned a house in Corvallis, and my best friend bought it. Mm -hmm. And I'd been going to that house since 1997, long before I could drive. I was little, and um, my when my best friend lived there my house my car got broken into yeah Yeah. the 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 situation changed and then right before Christmas uh, I live on a private drive in the middle of nowhere somebody was going through mailboxes like it happens but I still have more security more knowledge that nobody's going to kick me out of my home things like that now than I did as a renter yeah absolutely and I think that like I say really helps with your mental health um agreed in addition to just the financial um, savings mm-hmm. and you're more, you're insurable at that point. If something really bad happens, mm-hmm. you, you've got it covered in a rental situation. Your, your possessions are covered, but mm-hmm. you know, that's different. Yeah. So. And hopefully your landlord has insurance, but there's hopefully. still weird situations. Uh, another renter situation I had, my uh, fridge went out on a Friday, Friday morning. And I'm calling my landlord and calling my landlord and calling my landlord. And I'm not kidding you. I couldn't get a hold of him all day Friday or Saturday. So I went out and bought a new fridge. So I had a fridge. And Sunday he says, well, I'm not going to pay for that fridge because um, I had one. It's like, but I couldn't get a hold of you for three days. Yeah. And that's partially on him for not communicating with me or giving me a way to access him but at the time I had a stack load of student loan debt and I didn't have an emergency fund sitting there to buy $500 worth of refrigerator yeah Yeah. and you know if if that happens in your home that's a different scenario right but when you're a homeowner you also hopefully have been educated that these are your responsibility now and so then you have that thousand dollar two thousand dollar emergency fund sitting there for when those things happen right or i mean i'm a huge fan of insurance okay i'm just gonna or, be honest yes do it every Tell me. kind every kind of insurance is good insurance no, yes okay, that's not true don't get the extended warranty on your car okay <laughs> I, I was gonna say i have an insurance episode coming up towards the end of the year um and i have my students go tell me look for a type of insurance they didn't know it existed um there's alien abduction insurance yes i did not know that <laughs> yeah um so um sorry I, go ahead i insurance. really love insurance yes, and there is a type of insurance you can get when you purchase your home it's called a home warranty yes. it covers your appliances so it covers if your fridge breaks down and it's not even that it's I mean, usually they'll write it into your loan even if you want. So um, it's usually like 500 bucks for the whole year and it covers your fridge and your uh, washer and dryer and your water heater and all of the stuff that, especially in that first year of ownership, that's when it's going to break. That's when dishwasher. dishwasher. That's what we had in our most recent house. We got the home warranty and our dishwasher, we bought the house in February and our dishwasher went out like... May, June, the, the repair guy was there like three times. Yeah. 
working on it and it didn't cost us anything because we had the insurance. My worst horror story as a real estate agent is um, they, the buyers took possession uh, the day after closing, they went in, they turned everything that, you know, they went to give the kid a bath and the hot water heater blew up. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it, it literally blew up. So there was not only they need a new one, but there was repairs involved mm-hmm. and the home, uh, the, the warranty covered it. All that's awesome. I think there was yeah. a $50 deductible. <laughs> that's, that's amazing. And so that's my worst horror that's... story. I got a call from a panicked <laughs> buyer, not even my buyer. It was uh-huh. my listing and the buyer calls me and says, there's water everywhere. What's going on? I'm like, I don't know, but we'll mm-hmm. fix it. So. And it when out. you're in that home buying process, the seller is required to carry homeowner's insurance. Mm-hmm. all the way through yes because something happens my sister had that she sold a house and while they were under contract but hadn't closed yet the uh, hallway bathroom flooded flooded yep and all over the bath uh, the hallway and everything and her insurance covered that for the homeowners I had a home buyer on their way to they had not formally taken possession in Oregon it's usually like 5 p.m on the day of closing kind of a thing They, they, it was like 4.30 and they backed their car into the garage. Oh my gosh. Of their new home that they didn't own oh yet. Oh no. Oh no. Yeah. I mean, stuff happens and that's mm-hmm. why insurance is so important. Yes. Uh, so the homeowner's insurance covered everything. Um, everything was fine in the end, mm-hmm. but yeah, like mm-hmm. stuff happens, especially yeah. when you think about it, this is really your most stressful purchase of your whole life. Yeah. And yeah. no matter and how many times you do it. Yeah. And it's one of your largest purchases that you'll ever make. And if you make it more than once, it, you, you're more knowledgeable, but it's still a lot. It's still yeah, a it's lot of moving. Never pieces. less pressure. It's yeah. never less pressure. Um, so it gets easier, but it's never less pressure. Yeah. And so you are in the most stressed time of your life and you're doing things that require a calm mind. You are backing things in, you mm-hmm. are moving stuff. You are yeah. packing hundred year old family heirlooms into boxes. Like mm-hmm. you are going to break something, have the insurance to cover it. please. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And towards the end of the year, I'm doing a three-part series on insurance. So, cool. um, I totally agree with you. Insurance. My, my, my motto is insurance is a transference of risk. Yeah. And it is. you're, you're paying for the idea that, maybe this won't happen but if it does somebody else is going to pay for it which i mean is i i awful. i'm i'm not <laughs> i feel like that old hair club for men like i'm not just a just a, a spokesperson i'm a believer like yes uh when i bought my car i got gap insurance because yeah. guess what i can't afford the gap in what my car is worth mm-hmm. and what it is left owed on it if i yeah. got into some kind of accident yeah. i've transferred that risk to somebody else so it's no longer yes. my problem yes. i breathe so much easier i almost got rear-ended Last night, I think I was driving my mom to the doctor. We kind of within inches, like they locked the brakes. It was squealing tires. Like I knew we were going to get hit. And the first thought I thought I had was it's okay. I'm covered. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Cause we have insurance to cover us medically. You've got insurance to cover your car, so on and so forth. And like you said, not all insurance is good insurance. I tell people as much as, as quickly as they can try and get under that 80% mark on their loan. So then they don't have to pay mortgage insurance, for right. example, because that is something you're paying for that isn't to benefit you at all. Correct. Yes. That is mortgage insurance is just to protect the lender. Yes. And, exactly. and it's fair for them to ask for it. Yeah. They're saying, they're saying, Hey, we're putting a lot of risk in you. We need to cover our butts. That's fine. 
But and by we, we mean to. you should cover our butts because exactly. you're paying for it. <laughs> exactly. So um, that is definitely something that most people don't want to do. I work with one of my lenders, uh, UWM, who's one of the nation's largest uh, lenders for wholesale. So they offer a program that's no mortgage insurance with up to, with as little as 10% down. Wow. So um, obviously those costs are written in elsewhere. It's mm-hmm. just, uh, it's not a higher interest rate, but it is, there's one fee that's higher, but it's paid off over the life of the loan. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a really good way to um, make sure that you're not spending as much on mortgage insurance, even if you don't have that 20% down. There are a lot of ways to figure out a way around mortgage insurance because you're right. It's the worst one. I think it's the worst one because it's not even paying to protect yourself. <laughs> it's paying to protect somebody else. Yes. Yes. Um, so we're almost out of time here. So I just wanted to do a couple other things with you. One is, could you walk us through the process of like how you work with someone coming into your office saying, hey, do I qualify for a house loan? Yeah. So the first thing we would go over is your credit. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, it's how banks judge you. I don't agree with it, but it's the world we live in. Um, so the most important things are the score. Um, there's lots of different programs out there, um, but to get you a good rate that's going to be feasible, you probably mm-hmm. want to be in that 600 or above range. There's not a lot I can do under 600. Mm-hmm. Um, but here's the caveat. Most of the places that you're going to go to check your credit score aren't going to give you an accurate one. So Credit Karma, Credit Sesame, Experience, probably the closest one uh, mm-hmm. if you're going directly through Experian. Um, but they all use different algorithms. And so when we go to pull your credit, it's often a big difference. I had somebody yesterday tell me they had a 580, pulled their credit score. They had a 650. Oh, so that's a not, good difference. Right. It's not always the way you think it is. So don't hesitate. It's not, it does hit your credit. It's a hard pull on your credit. So it's not no effect, but it's not a huge effect. So yeah, a hard um, pull is only going to drop you a, a few points for exactly. a short period of time. So as long as you haven't pulled it a billion times, that's not a huge issue. So we want to know what your credit score is. Um, we're going to want to make sure there's no big red flags on your credit. So there are things I can work with, um, but that may have more complications. So uh, bankruptcy, foreclosure, uh, collections, defaulted student loans. Those are going to be the things that are going to be like, we have to have a big discussion about these to make sure they're not going to provide a hiccup. Does it if cost big... anything to have you look at that? What? Does it cost anything to have you look at that? No, I cover the cost of the credit report. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's a fee that I take into account. Mm-hmm. Um, in some cases on certain types of loans, they don't let me cover it in the end. So you'll get okay. charged for it um, when, you, when your home closes, but it's about $30. But, and it's not an out-of-pocket. It's not like I have to have money to go talk to you to find nope. out if I'm loanable. No. And so we're going to look at your credit and then we're going to look at what's your debt to income ratio. The federal government, after all the housing bubble burst, mm-hmm. they want to make sure that you can repay your loan and they make that my job. <laughs> so I'm going to look at what your income is and then what your debts are. If you've got a high debt load, student loans or um, car payments or things like that, you have to make enough that when you pay all those debts and your housing payment, you still have enough. So we're going to look at those ratios. Um, once you're in the clear there, we will look at um, any other issues that may arise, things like citizenship or um, in like a USDA loan, we need to look at your rental history. They want to make sure that you've been making those payments on time. Do you look at criminal criminal history at all? Um, Actually, no. Criminal history is not something we have to look at unless it was some kind of uh, fraud. Gotcha. 
Okay, cool. Um, and then um, once we've cleared all those hurdles, um, then we would just look at um, getting a, a formal application submitted and then we run it through the government system to check to see if they would approve you. Mm -hmm. And it's really just that easy. Mm -hmm. Once we know that they would approve you, we know how much you would be approved for. Mm -hmm. um, and then you can start shopping. You take that letter, your pre-approval letter with your realtor. Because mm -hmm. most, yeah. if they're a good realtor, they're going to want that piece of paper from the beginning anyway. Yeah. Because good realtors don't generally have time to talk to people who aren't going to qualify. Mm -hmm. Generally. There's a yeah. few exceptions and people yeah. who are just starting out who just are grateful to talk to anybody. But um, generally, we do want to talk to realtors with a pre-approval in hand so you know what your budget is. Well, and I think a pre-approval is really important um, for you setting expectations. If you get your heart set on a house and you can't afford it, it's devastating. Yeah, and absolutely. so if you go in there knowing how much you can or want to spend, um, you can set your expectations accordingly. I absolutely agree. Also, especially in uh, a, a seller's market, mm -hmm. you may need some wiggle room. So you, yeah. even if you're approved up to 400, you maybe need to be looking at 370, you know? So yeah. um, there's a lot of things like that. Um, and then once, once you have that, and it's really just a matter of finding the um, house that you want, getting the mm -hmm. offer accepted. We do, once you know what house you want, we do uh, a fully underwritten uh, pre-approval process. So we actually collect your documents so that we know that your loan is going to go through. And I call your list, the listing agent of the home you just offered on. And I say, you know, so-and-so is approved, fully underwritten, ready to go. This home, this loan will close. Um, it really has had an impact for a lot of the clients that I've worked with. I was just going to say, that's a super powerful thing because when you've got a uh, homeowner that has multiple lists or multiple offers and they know for sure that you're good to go this isn't going to fall out in three weeks right. that's huge they may pick you over somebody else just for that exactly so that is something that we do and then um then it's really just a matter of forming a team i talk with my real estate the both the listing and the buying agent mm -hmm. um once a week uh, every week, no matter what, awesome. just so that they know what's going on and nobody is left in the dark. I also call the clients. If I haven't talked to them that, that mm -hmm. week, I will also call them on a Tuesday just to make sure everybody knows what's going on. Cause that's the number one thing we hear from real estate agents and, um, borrowers alike is that they don't, they didn't feel like they knew what was going on. So communication. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. So that's what we do. So if someone would like to work with you or learn more about you, uh, how could they do that? And do you have any social medias or anything like that? Absolutely. So um, I'm on Facebook. Um, <laughs> I have a unique name, Jody Wynn Turner. So J-O-D-I-W-Y-N-N and then Turner at the end, like, like the singer. Okay. So um, I have a unique name, so it's really easy to find me on Facebook. Okay. <laughs> um, that's the easiest place. And then I also have a website. It's Jody mortgagefriend.com and I liked that old chain company now you have a friend in the diamond business mm -hmm. so now you have a friend in the mortgage business so that's my my uh website and you can actually apply right on there that's awesome um or set up a time that works for you to awesome. meet with me and I, are you meeting people in person or on zoom or uh if you're local to me I'm absolutely welcome I I would love to meet people in person if you're comfortable I'm comfortable we can grab a coffee or whatever if you'd rather do a zoom or a phone call perfectly mm -hmm. acceptable I don't mind either way mm -hmm. And do you uh, only lend in Oregon? Right now, I only lend in Oregon. Okay. Um, uh, within the next two months, we'll be uh, uh, branching out. So I'll be doing mm -hmm. Washington, um, probably Alaska, 
possibly Idaho, Utah, mm-hmm. Hawaii, mm-hmm. but probably not California. <laughs> yeah, but if someone is here in Oregon and they're looking at someplace else, they could probably uh, at least talk to you about maybe a referral. Absolutely. Someone else they could talk to in that I am state. part of a huge network of, of lending uh, professionals. So That's I can, awesome. and including things like um, commercial loans, um, things that I don't normally take care of myself just because I don't have enough experience in that yet. Um, uh, but I, I know hundreds, hundreds of people. Okay. <laughs> so I'm happy to help people get set up with the right person. That's awesome. Jody. thank you so much for your time. I just have one question left for you. Yes. My question is, what does wealthy mean to you? So I, ta- I thought about this a lot. Um, I believe wealth is a circle. Mm-hmm. So I think you start where you may need assistance, um, where you, whether that's from your family or from programs to benefit you and you build from that until you can cover your own basic needs. And then once you can cover your own basic needs, then you start building that. That's when you're wealthy, right? When, when you can spend money frivolously without hesitation, that's when you're wealthy. And then that's when you start giving it back to help other people get to where they can cover their own basic needs. And I really believe it's a circle. And I don't believe you should ever be at the top of the circle for very long. I don't think you should ever be um, frivolously spending money for very long. Like it really should circle back um, to help your fellow man. So that's for me. I love that. I love that, that the idea that wealthy doesn't have to mean that you're rich and selfish. It can mean that you get to help the people, families, charities, anything you want, and you have the money to take care of you and then help other people as well. Exactly. Exactly. Awesome. I really, I really think that we all, we need to lift each other up because there's just no way, no way other than that to get everybody out of the boat. You know, we got to lift everybody up. A rising tide raises all ships. That's, I, it. that's exactly it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This was so awesome. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode of the Wanting to Wealthy podcast. I would love to continue the conversation on Instagram at Wanting to Wealthy. Please DM me with comments, questions, and future podcast ideas. If you found value in the podcast and think of someone who would feel the same way, please share it with them. Until next time.